Welcome back, WIT listeners. I'm so excited to chat with our guest today, Amber Hart. Amber is the co-founder and owner of the Pulse of Government Contracting. She has over a decade of experience in all aspects of selling to the federal government. She brings critical knowledge and experience in navigating congressional and federal procurement data and sources from legislation to appropriations and historical federal obligations. Amber received her bachelor's in conflict analysis and resolution and global affairs from George Mason University and is currently the president-elect of Women in Technology DC and is a board member for George Mason University's Center for Government Contracting Advisory Board in the School of Business. An innovator and disruptor in her field, welcome Amber. Thanks Christine, thanks for having me. Well, so excited. And um, let's go ahead and just get started here. I have a lot of questions for you and I can't (laughs) wait for your answers. But go ahead and tell the audience a bit about yourself, where you're from and then your current work or position. Sure. So I am a born and raised at Northern Virginia. Uh, that is still located in Northern Virginia. I feel like it's sometimes hard to find us natives in the area. So grown up type A, very retentive Northern Virginia chick right here. As you mentioned, I went to George Mason University where I went to school and interned at the same time, went through a bunch of different career sets, a bunch of different organizations, all to land about three and a half, oh my gosh, almost four years ago as self-employed and then turning that into a business with my co-founder, Lisa Shaymont, um, where we founded the Pulse of GovCon. Fantastic. I can't believe it's been, what, three and a half years you mentioned. I can't either. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, how did you get started in your field as far as, you know, the, the federal government is so huge right now, so many different verticals, so many different levels there. What does your career journey look like? All over the place. Um, And I would say (laughs) it was a little bit of a happy accident. Me landing into the career field, I am as I grew up in Northern Virginia, as I mentioned, but I had no idea what government contracting was, which is funny because it's all you see when you drive around the Beltway, down seven. Yeah, that's I think that's like 75 to 80% of our GDP here. But both of my parents did not work in that field. My surrounding family did. They worked more on the government side. I didn't know what government contracting was. um, And I truthfully didn't know about it until I got an internship my junior year in college when I was at Mason. Um, I got very lucky. My uncle was working at one of the top systems integrators at the time at SAIC. I studied Arabic in in college, and I saw a documentary when I was a freshman about these NGOs that would go over to Afghanistan and teach these women business skills. Um, I didn't have a lot of business skills at the time, but I thought it was really cool that they were going over and empowering these young women. And I was like, that's something I would like to do. It didn't work out for me. I tried to go apply at the State Department. They were having a hiring freeze at the time. I wasn't quite sure how to get into that field. That was kind of like my lofty goal, I would say. Um, I knew that's where I want. I wanted to work somewhere where I was kind of uh, putting together puzzle pieces and helping people out. And weirdly enough, that's kind of where I've tumbled into, maybe not in that same vein. 
my passion still lies there. I still would love one day to go ahead and pursue something like that. But I got an internship and I got really lucky with two fantastic bosses. Shout out to Aaron and Cheryl. And they didn't treat me like an intern. They threw me right into the lion's den, uh, baptism by fire immediately. And I started learning so much. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a great student. I didn't apply myself very well. I didn't understand how I learned back then. Mm -hmm. And when I was interning, I learned I was a hands-on learner. I liked to see things how they were done. I liked being able to see how the sausage was made. And I picked it up quickly. And I went from thinking, eh, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. I don't feel like I'm very good at anything to actually really having a passion for it because I was like, oh my gosh, I can do things. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how it got started. And then someone approached me, I would say into my internship and a few months into it and said, hey, I have some family members starting this small government contract and you'll get more exposure there if you want to learn how the whole thing works. So I went and I applied and I got the interview and I was interviewing and I got the job and I basically didn't go home after that. They were like, all right, well, here's your first piece of work. And the rest was really history from there. Wow. You know, we talk in this podcast about having great mentors. And so it's great that you had two very supportive bosses. Yes, I've been very lucky. I've had some really great bosses. I've also been very lucky where I've had some really not so great bosses which has helped me a lot as I'm turning maybe into one one day for someone learning what I don't want to be like, right, which is just as important. Right, right. Is there one lesson that you learned from a mentor that you still apply every day as you know, a woman in this field? Yes. So I've been lucky with a lot of great bosses. But there's one that I would love to give a shout out to her name is Tasha Manzano. Um, I hope she doesn't get mad at me for giving her full name, but she's wonderful. (laughs) She taught me so much when I worked under her for a year. And the biggest thing she taught me, first time I've ever seen anyone put it into practice, was the art of saying no and the art Mm -hmm. of not being everything to everyone. You know, you hear that a lot. And I, I definitely heard that a lot prior to working under Tasha, but I've never seen anyone put it into practice with grace and be able to turn it into a business opportunity after that. Because you get scared, especially when you're young in your career, that you say no and they'll never come back to you again. Because I was doing sales at the time. And you get nervous because you're like, oh, well, if I can't do this for them, they're never going to loop back around. And she just shattered that for me. And so I take that every day into everything that I'm doing where it's the right thing. You can't be everything to everyone and you shouldn't be. And you actually learn that, you know, people respect that more because they know that when they're getting your time, right, when they're getting your attention, that's where you thrive, not just to make a sale or not just to be scared of losing them. And that lesson to me was, was massive, especially seeing it in practice. Yeah. And that's so critical to learn in the beginning of your career, because at that point in time, you're trying to impress everybody. Yes. And especially when you're in sales, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be able to, you know, someone asks you, hey, do you guys do this? You know, you don't really, but you want to say yes, because you'll figure it out. And I am one of those people. It's like, say yes, figure it out later. And so it kind of goes against my grain to say no. But in business, time is precious. Your, Your effort is precious. 
what you're putting your energy towards is, you know, invaluable. Um, and you want to make sure that you're always giving your best to your customers or your clients or even, you know, your, your colleagues. So, and you can't do that if you're always saying yes. Right, right. And what I love about you, Amber, is that every single time we meet, you know, in person pre-COVID, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you're always so positive. But during your career journey, were there any challenges along the way? How did you pull through it? Oh, yeah, lots of challenges. <laughs> Where do I start? So I guess my biggest thing that I'm always really honest about when talking to anyone about my career is I've been fired twice and uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. And I wear them like a badge of honor because one, I probably should have been fired when I was fired because I have a little bit of an attitude. And two, uh, I learned a lot from those experiences. I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't fired twice. (laughs) You know, the first time I was fired, that came with a lot of struggles. You know, I'll take a step back from that real quick and kind of present another challenge, which was something that I know a lot of women deal with. And especially in a field where it's male predominant sometimes and things can get a little murky What as a young professional was sexual harassment. Um, oh gosh. And kind of, yeah. And kind of blurred boundaries that way. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I definitely encountered a lot early on in my career. I definitely had some wonderful males um, in the offices where I experienced the stand up for me and that recognized what was going on and, and definitely was an advocate, but people of power, right? That, that definitely um, blur those boundary lines for you. So I definitely, I dealt with that. Um, the first firing definitely came at when I should have left somewhere I knew I should have left months ahead. It, it was the first time I, I would ever be quitting anywhere. And I confrontation at that time was not something I was comfortable with. And so it's like one of those situations where you just stay longer than you should. Eventually, the universe takes care of it for you, which is not good for anyone. You know, once you kind of realize that you shouldn't be in that environment anymore, it's not the place where you're not happy going there, you're not happy doing the work you're doing, it's time to go. And the issue was that I was so afraid to leave that I, it came out probably in a unprofessional attitude at times. Now, you know, without going too far into the story, I'll stand by my attitude. I think it was warranted. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, you were either going to make that decision of the universe, the universe or they were going to make it for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was like in my the early, early on in my career. The second firing came actually right before I started doing consulting for myself and and then turning that into the pulse of GovCon. And that was kind of the same exact thing. Lisa and I like to tell our story when we started the pulse. So we started as anonymous blog while we were still hired by a, you know, a wonderful consulting company with their full permission. They were fully aware of what we were doing. But the issue was, as we were growing it, my interest just went to the pulse as it would, right? It's your baby, you start growing it, you start seeing people interested in it. Um, My work wasn't suffering, but it was very obvious that like I was there to do the work, not to be involved in the company. And this was definitely a company culture first type of place. So I just wasn't present. I was doing my work, but I wasn't present because the pulse is where I wanted to be doing and where I was. Um, So it kind of was the same thing where eventually the universe kind of puts you at a halt and says, hey, you got to make a decision here. 
And I was perfectly happy still continuing on working, but I was kind of operating on my own by that point. And it, I was not involved in the company. I was not probably the team player that they were looking for anymore. So again, it was time for me to go. Um, so I feel like both of those lessons taught me a lot about engaging, being present, and then learning when it is time to go and not being scared to confront that. And, you know, a lot of lessons that come with that. And I think that being fired is not always something you want to admit to or being let go or being laid off. But it's part of my story and my journey. And I feel like it's definitely shaped me to where I am today. And sometimes these things happen, you know, fair or not fair. And, you know, being able to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and continue moving on with your head held high is what matters and being able to say, okay, what's next? Yeah. And what was next for you is your own baby, as you mentioned, and starting your own company. I mean, it's so fantastic the way that you turned it around. I mean, you're definitely a very successful woman and a proven entrepreneur, three and a half years in the making. What advice do you have for women who want to start their own business? Oh, man, I'm still getting advice on my for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe there's a few. The first would be have a plan. When we started The Pulse, we're self-funded. And Lisa and I don't come from a trust fund. Um, and we certainly don't have Boku's amounts of money. So in order to make sure that we were doing this properly, we had to really be financially smart about our money since you know we were kind of going at it now alone, right? You still have to pay your bills. You, you still have to stay on top of those things you know, make sure that you are prepared for what that looks like. Losing an every two week paycheck is hard. Um, I won't lie to anyone. It's not easy. Losing your health insurance, not easy. There's now options out there, thank God, but they're just as expensive. And there's a lot of things that come with being an entrepreneur. So I would first say before you take the leap, make sure you understand financially those impacts and that you plan for that. It's doable. Trust me. Um, I didn't have any savings. I didn't have a large 401k. I've been very lucky and blessed to have made a little bit of money through my salary. But like, I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't have 100k in the bank just sitting there. Um, so it's doable, right? It just be smart about it. Um, and then my second piece of advice would be just do it. It's scary. And it's terrifying. And it's hard some days. And sometimes you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing half the time, neither does Lisa, and we'll both tell you that. But do it. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world, right? You tried, you will learn something, you will take something away from that. I'm a firm believer that no experience is a failure, right? It's just a way to learn. Even if it doesn't work out, quote unquote, um, you're still going to get something out of it. You might get your next job out of it. You might get your next, you know, networking connection out of it. It's going to take you somewhere. So try it out. And if you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, guess what? I guarantee you 90% of us don't either. Um, maybe probably even 99% of us don't either. Even those that have full-time jobs don't know what they're doing every day either, right? We're all figuring it out as we go. And you take that approach of, hey, I'm going to just try it out and put one foot in front of the other and, and see what happens. And you know, it will lead to where it's supposed to lead. And you take that mentality. And as long as you're waking up and you're passionate about it, you know, you're not going to fail at anything. Right. And you know, I love what you said, 
especially just doing it because a lot of times I feel, and we talk about it in this podcast as well, where women will say, once I get done with XYZ, then I'll start my business. Or um, once mm-hmm. I have ABC, then I'll start my business. It's There's never like that perfect moment. You just got to dig. There's never a good it. time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so what do you think drives your ambition? What inspires you to continue to keep going and growing? I'm very hard on myself. And so I feel like maybe being fired twice has always driven me. I always kind of feel like I'm working with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I'm very competitive to begin with. I don't like being told no. I don't like being told you can't do this. I don't like being doubted. And so I kind of always feel like I'm playing with a little bit of a handicap because I also don't come from, you know, somewhere that my my uncle was able to get me an internship, but, you know, I don't have. Uh, massive amounts of connections at times, right? Like I'm not, I'm not heavily involved in a lot of things. And so, you know, it's really building your career from the ground up. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm a hands-on learner. I think being able to be involved and be creative and have control over my career and have control over my time and have control over what I'm investing myself into because you're either investing into your own dream or you're investing into somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing to invest into my dream, whatever that looks like, right? I think I've always been someone that blends my career with my life because I want to be happy doing all of it. If I have control over my career and I'm working on my dream, that means I'm in control of my life. I'm, I'm working on myself for me. And that's the most important part at the end. So I would say it's that. And then, you know, something a little small. I have a new ambition and that's inspiring me to grow is we just recently found out that we'll be having a daughter really soon. Congratulations, Amber. Thank you. And um, thinking about that uh, every day and thinking about what kind of mom I'm going to be and what she's going to see and what kind of things I want to expose her to and the lessons I want her to learn. And, you know, you already think of, you start thinking about all of these things and I can't wait for her to see mommy working on her own stuff. You know, I can't wait to talk about these things with her and seeing not only a strong woman, but you know, with my business partner, Lisa, she gets to see that as well. And Lisa has her own daughter now too, who's seeing the same thing. And, you know, it kind of turns into now raising strong women Yes. Um, and, and that is a big inspiration to me, not only strong, but independent, right. And someone that can stand on her own two feet and use her voice. And I have a feeling she's going to be a very sassy little girl. <laughs> um, and, and that makes me really excited. And I think that's going to probably be the new driver coming next year for sure. Such exciting news. And you broke it here on the podcast. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's go ahead and do some fire questions. Here comes the fun. Would you rather watch Wonder Woman Linda Carter or Wonder Woman Gal Gadot? I like both. Um, I'm a classic movie fan as well, but I love Gal Gadot. She was, uh, you know, I mean, my God, just like watching her. She Mm -hmm. looks phenomenal. She's just moving all around. Um, So I would say... I'm going to say both, um, mainly because I'm a big fan of the classics and I don't think you have to choose. <laughs> oh, good. That's that's such a good answer. I wouldn't want to choose either, but I don't know why I put that question in there, but I had to put Wonder <laughs> Woman somewhere. <laughs> I no, like it. If you could invent one thing, what would it be? This is going to sound really stupid. Probably not stupid. 
but because um pregnancy and symptoms and things like that i've turned into a major hypochondriac so if i could invent like one of those jetson things where you stand in like a tube and it scans your body every day and it tells you like everything's okay um <laughs> i i would love to have one of those that would make life a lot easier right now <laughs> oh i would buy one i'm always on google every day google oh God. it's so bad we should get off christine i do the same thing and we should get off of google we're not know. doctors um, <laughs> but i drive my i drive myself insane so yeah if i could have like one of those cool machines that just like scan your whole body every day that would be that would be amazing i'd buy one i'd buy one <laughs> And lastly, if you could invite one historical figure over for dinner, who would it be and why? I feel like I would like to invite Michelle Obama over um, mm. because I feel like she would leave me very inspired after dinner and I love her style. So like my favorite thing about first ladies is their outfits and how they're made by certain designers for certain causes. And I feel like I would just want to like go through her entire lookbook and say, who made this? How did they make this? What was it for? What was the cause? And I would love to kind of pick her brain on that. And, you know, I just think she is a very inspiring woman and someone that I just feel like you could have a genuine conversation with. And, you know, she'd probably make something really good for dessert. She'd probably like the whole meal. It'd probably be fantastic. I just read her book Becoming not too long ago. And she's just kind of on the brain and just someone that would be down to earth and someone that I could probably talk about like a variety of topics with. And then she'd also like tell me to calm down and stop <laughs> <laughs> I think like she would make a really good dinner guest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what an amazing and fun conversation with you, Amber. I wish this was in person, but I know <laughs> we're too. still being cautious. And first of all, congratulations again. And thank you for taking the time to meet and chat with us today, Amber. Awesome. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you may find Amber on LinkedIn at Amber Hart. And until then, keep inspiring girls and women from the classroom to the boardroom. 